Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Dude. Bro. Top of the morning. Top of the morning. Yeah. If you <laughs> listeners knew what we what we do for you guys, we get up early, real early, before before sunlight. Before this po- podcast for you guys. Yeah, man. At least <laughs> at least there's daylight savings recently. That's so. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, John? Oh, whew. we are talking about. Oh, so we as Christians, obviously, we put a whole lot of stock in this Bible that we hold in our hands. I know I sure do. Uh, we base our lives on it as being the Word of God. But have you ever asked, or has anyone ever asked you, like, can you really trust that Bible that you hold so dearly in your hands and you base your life off of? How do you know if it even says what the original authors intended it to say? And if it does, how do we even know we can trust what they wrote? Anyways, why do we base our lives on this book as opposed to any other book? Why is this book supreme mm-hmm. um, in the life of a Christian? Um, yeah. So yeah, we're going to dive into that. Can we really trust this Bible that we hold in our hands? Um, good, good. So, would you say, on the theological triage scale, where does this fall? The reliability of the Bible. So this this has got to be top number one. I mean, because we we as Christians we either base our whole lives off of a uh, a book that is called the Word of God, or we don't. Um, and if we don't, then our lives are open to all sorts of various interpretations and subjectivity, whether coming from our own selves or from other so-called authorities. Um, and so if we don't have this underpinning of a foundation for our belief system, then we don't really have really anything steadfast and immovable at all. And so this is to me a level one issue because it is undergirding everything else that we believe because we go to the scriptures for our doctrines on the Trinity, our doctrines on salvation by grace through faith alone. Um, did Jesus die on the cross? Did he rise from the dead? We, where else do we go but besides the scriptures for these things? Um, so if the scriptures are not reliable. Um, if someone teaches that, there's a level one issue. I'm going to pull out the level one sword uh, on this one. <laughs> yeah, man. Right on. So let's just jump right into it. Or actually, before before we do that, I do want to share kind of my testimony. I know last, uh, last episode or two, you had shared yours um, with how important the doctrine of the Trinity is to you due to your background in dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses and almost becoming one yourself. Yeah. So this reliability of Scripture topic is particularly relevant to me because I went through a, a long period of time where this was a huge issue. So I grew up in, um, well, kind of a bag of checks mix as far as denominations are concerned, but primarily the one that was most prominent was the independent fundamental Baptist tradition. Uh-huh. So within that tradition, it is extremely common to hold a view called King James Onlyism, where basically, and there's a couple variations, but essentially it boils down to the only Bible translation that you should be using is the King James Version. And of course, I believe that wholeheartedly for quite a while. And then um, after a number of situations where I was confronted with some evidence to the contrary, I just, just through my world, just, just messed it up. <laughs> just really messed up my world. It rocked it. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was crazy time for me. I was digging deep into everything I could find about how we got the Bible. Is it reliable? Um, how do translations work? How do I know I can trust the English translation that I have? 
um, what Bible translation is the best? Is there a best translation? All uh-huh. those questions. So I, yeah. I spent years digging into this because it was, it was everything to me. Because like you said, everything we believe as Christians is sourced by the words of God and the written words of God that we have that the only ones we know he actually spoke are in the scriptures, right? Like this is, we can say, thus says the Lord, because we have his word. So it is of the utmost importance that we know um, not only what God said through the original authors, but can we trust it? So that's what I want to get into. Uh So I think there are two kinds of reliability that we need to to flesh out here. Okay. So there is historical reliability, which shows us that we can trust what the text says and is at least generally historically accurate, um, and that we do have what the original authors wrote. And then theological reliability is not only going to help us see that we have an accurate copy and also that it's historic, generally historically accurate, but also it's going to show us that we can trust the truth claims of the Bible for ourselves and that we don't have to just simply generally believe it's like generally historically accurate, but we can actually trust it every word. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, so that, and I think that's a good way to do it. Just start with the historical and then and then talk about the theological. I think that's great. And I think that's a great way to build it up. And I'm looking forward to hearing how you do that. Because, yeah, on some level, when we read the Bible, we're just like, okay, this is the Word of God, and I'm just going to believe it. And we have this uh, just built-in faith sometimes. At least that's how it was for me. But there comes a time, though, when it's like, all right, there are some accusations being made by a lot of people that we can't even know if this is what they wrote. Isn't this like the telephone game where we're 2,000 years later and maybe they wrote it, but it's been transcribed. We don't have originals. It's been copied after copied after copy. And when I do that in my Xerox machine, I make a copy of it. Eventually, it's just going to be so distorted so that now 2,000 years later, how do we even know? So how do we build that historical reliability case for the New Testament to get to a point where we can say, this is, this is what they wrote? Yeah. So I think the starting point is definitely the New Testament. And here's why, number one, it's the most contested. Um, And as we see when we'll get into the theological reliability, I think it has the most implications for our whole view on this this issue. So let's start with the historical reliability of the New Testament. So the first thing is we have eyewitness accounts of of what happened during the time of um, the New Testament being written. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, let's just talk about extra biblical accounts, meaning stuff outside of the New Testament. We have Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian who lived in the first century. He actually went through the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and he's um, our primary source historically for knowing what happened during that. He's, his writings are trusted by secular scholars. He, he was not a Christian. He was Jewish, but he rejected the claims of Christ being the Messiah, so he's not biased in that sense. Interesting. So he verified the death of Christ. He verified who was ruling at the time. Um, He verified all sorts of those historical details that are mentioned in the the Gospels, for example, in the epistles. Um, But it's it's not biased, if you will. Um, 
So that's, that's just one piece to it. So we know that at least in some cases, the New Testament is historically reliable there. Okay. But we got another side to that too. Internally speaking, there are multiple authors of the New Testament, many of which were contemporaries of Jesus and actually, actually lived with Jesus okay. and walked with Jesus, right? So because of that, we know that we can, we can trust, at least, again, at least generally, what they say about the life of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And skeptics will say, well, maybe, but not, definitely not the miraculous claims because, you know, miracles don't happen, mm-hmm. which again is... It's kind of a it's kind of a presupposition, a presupposition. that we're <laughs> yeah, yep. but we can talk about that some other time. Yeah. But again, the, the with the historical reliability, again, we're just trying to show that you can generally trust these documents as historically reliable with the with the common facts that they record. Okay. That's that's at l- the very least of what we're trying to do here. Uh-huh. Yep. yep. Okay. So um, we know that we have information about Christ's life from. Um, the biblical authors, the New Testament authors, plus some outside, and his death, right, and the early Christian movement that was sparked from those events. Uh-huh. Okay, yep. So there's that, and I think that probably is a good place to stop as far as the eyewitnesses are concerned, and, and dealing with that. The next part, though, like you had mentioned at the beginning, is okay. Well, that's great that there were eyewitnesses and they wrote stuff down, but how how do we know we actually have what they originally wrote? Uh-huh. What if the, it was corrupted over time and all these details were added? Well, that's where we get into the transmission of the text. So a couple of things you want to know on the front end. The New Testament was originally written in the language of Greek, not modern Greek, but Koine Greek. Koine means common. Okay. So common as opposed to classical Greek, which is more of the, the higher, fancier Greek okay. um, that some of the poets wrote in. It's more basic speech. Yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah. This would be the common marketplace language that people used. Okay. Um, which I will just throw a plug in with this. I think that's why <laughs> one of the reasons why you shouldn't be promoting King James onlyism, because the New Testament was written in Koine, common Greek, uh-huh. that every person could understand. Yep. And. The, the King James Version, at least, especially to us now, especially is, us is now. way out there as far as common languages, because Elizabethan, and even then, like, some of the words don't even mean the same thing anymore. Yeah. It's just confusing. So that's, yep. that's totally another episode, but I just wanted to throw that in. No, but you're right. I've, and I've seen some people give uh, brand new believers a King James Bible, and, the, and you just see the, like, the look of, like, I'm lost. This book is already hard enough to understand, but now it's thee, thou wither, hither, you know, all these things. And we're just like, ah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's oh, absolutely so beautiful. beautiful. Right. It's, but it's not koine beautiful. It's not <laughs> it's common not beautiful. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's high and lofty kind of thing. Right, yeah. yes. right. Yep. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> but anyway, so as far as the transmission of the text is concerned, though, um, originally written in koine Greek, we have, to this day, nearly 6,000 original language Greek manuscripts that are existent today. Hmm. And let's flesh that out. So a manuscript is a handwritten copy. Okay. Okay. So they didn't have the printing press back then. When they wanted, someone wanted a book, they had to either copy it themselves or hire someone else to do it. They they couldn't just go to Staples and grab like a big stack of paper. (laughs) They had to use animal skins. They had used papyri, um, lots of different things. And they didn't have like nice ballpoint pens either. Like yeah. it was a difficult, difficult process. 
Um, so the fact that we have 6,000, uh, nearly 6,000 handwritten manuscripts is a miracle in and of itself. Wow. Just yeah. so you know, any other like historical document that we have, like um, I think Homer's Gilead, that has about 120 existent copies huh. today. And people, people see that as what Homer originally wrote because we can compare those manuscripts of the 120 and yeah. deduce what was originally written. Uh-huh. We have six, nearly 6,000 uh-huh. yep. Yep. to work with. And that's just in the original language. We also we have nearly 25,000 in total between all the other ancient languages that were written, <laughs> like Coptic, Latin, Syriac, like all these different languages. Wow. So we have translations of the New Testament that are very ancient that we can compare. Um, of course, the best is the original language because that's what was originally inspired and God breathed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the translations are helpful to verify that it at least said what, like we we have what was originally written. Yeah, and so with so to take that to Homer's uh, in the the book the Gilead that he wrote. Um, we don't have the original, I guess, of what right. Homer penned and wrote down. Right. But we have these 120 right. maybe extant manuscripts mm-hmm. that we have, and we can look at them, and based on examining them and comparing them to one another, we can get a very, very solid understanding of, okay, we don't have what he ori- originally wrote, but because of all of these manuscripts, we're very sure this is exactly yeah, what he wrote. exactly. And the, it's so ironic that... Um, that people would even argue that we don't have what the apostles originally wrote in the New Testament because no one questions Homer's Gilead. No, one's, uh-huh. no one questions these other writings like from Josephus and other things. And we have way less manuscripts. Not only that, I didn't mention this before, but um, of those nearly 6,000 New Testament original language manuscripts, none of them are the original autographs, the original ones that the... Um, that the apostles wrote. They're copies of copies of copies, yep. okay? They are, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Some of those copies, though, go back to the first and second century. So we're talking about in the same generation uh-huh. that they were originally written. Yep. So these are extremely early copies. Right, right. Um, all the way through up to when the printing press, printing press was invented. So we have, between that period of time, we have uh, nearly 6,000 original language manuscripts. And I've heard some people say that it's almost embarrassing uh, yeah. how, how much uh, evidence we have. An embarrassment of riches. An embarrassment of riches, whereas you compare to, you know, 120, that's, that's pretty good, you know, for Homer's Gilead yeah. or whatever. Like, But when it comes to the scriptures, the New Testament, close to 6,000 in the original language, 25,000 in other languages, that's... That's a whole heap of <laughs> yeah. evidence that we have as opposed to 120 when no one's asking any questions about Homer's Iliad. Right. Yep. And again, that doesn't mean that you can trust the theological claims of right. the New Testament. Yep. Just, just the fact that it's in existence and we know what was originally written. We still have to establish the authority of what the authors were teaching. Right. But that's So we'll get there in a minute. But so far, we've established that that we do have what was written by the apostles. Okay. We do have that, and we can generally trust it historically due to the eyewitnesses internally and externally. Um, one last thing I will mention on the transmission of the text. Um, you have probably heard that there are 
just so many variations within the original manuscripts. And there are a lot. There mm-hmm. are about 400,000 variations. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't, you know, kind of throw you off, it, it should a little bit uh, on the surface because that is 400,000 variations. That's more words than there are in the New Testament. Right. Yeah. So yeah. If you th- yeah. like on the surface, and that's, that's what some of these skeptics will say. Yeah. Like, you realize there's more variations in the New Testament than there are words. And, uh-huh. you know, that throws people off. Right. What they don't tell you is they don't define what a variation is, first of all. So, um, first of all, a variation is any change in form, spelling, or wording from the original autograph. Okay, or not even from the original autograph, just between manuscripts. So, um, just kind of explain how that works. So, you got an original copy, right? And let's say you can't print it, so you get ten people that copy that that original manuscript. Okay, mm-hmm. so you have now you have eleven. One's an original, ten are copies. But there's a lot of words in the New Testament, and if you're writing. You don't have great lighting, you don't have great tools, and you don't have great paper. You're probably going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to skip a word. You're probably going to misspell something. Um, if it's being dictated to you, you might miss something. You might double up. You might accidentally repeat the same word, right? So if we only have one copy, then, yeah, that'd be kind of scary because then we wouldn't know if that person copying made a mistake. But we got 10, and it's extremely unlikely that 10 different copyists are going to make the same mistake at the same time, uh-huh. right? It's probably only going to be one or two making the mistake at the same time. So we can compare those 10 manuscripts that we have um, in this example and see how they differ from one another and then correct them using the other manuscripts, right? So if one misses a word, the other nine have it, then we know yeah, that right. this one missed a word. Yep. And that analogy is is very conservative because we actually have nearly 6,000 to work off of, (laughs) not just 10. Yes. So we, we can be extremely confident that what we have is actually what was originally written. Yes. Yes. I'm thinking of an example of that today. Like, so let's say I I read a letter to my wife that, uh, this is a crude analogy, but let's just say I write a letter to my wife and I'm saying like, all right, it's, it's tonight, it's date night, honey. Um, we'll watch a movie. Um, pop some popcorn, and uh, send the kids to babysitters. Let's say I have 6,000 uh, manuscripts of that writing that, that are out there, but we lose the original. 4,000 of them say, like, identical to what I wrote. But there's a couple of thousand in there with diff- different ma- variants. You know, it's uh, um, instead of honey, I say babe in one of them, or a few misspellings in one of them. Um, or instead of saying a movie, I say a flick, um, or instead of saying popcorn, I say, uh, a, a snack, uh, a buttery snack. And instead of saying my, our kids to the babysitter, we'll, we'll say, uh, we're, we're sending them away with some family. You have 6,000 manuscripts all testifying and you read them all and there's these little variants, but at the end of the day, you know exactly what I said to my wife, even without the initial original yeah. manuscripts. And I'm just trying to put it in a yeah, in good. a term that we can understand today, because although there are some variants, these variants don't really amount to a whole lot of misspelling right. or using flick instead of a movie or something like that. Yeah, um, I think those things get blown out of proportion where most of these variants are. 
Yeah. So small. I agree. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. And something to point out with that is, um, I'm not just like pulling this, pulling this out of nowhere. Um, scholars like Dan Wallace, Brutz Metzger, and even the agnostic scholar, Bart Ehrman, um, say that 99% of the variants in the new Testament have no bearing on the meaning. Uh-huh. Like they have no bearing on theology or meaning. Yes. Um, that would leave only 1%. Okay. Yep. So, and when I say 99%, like these, they actually mean 99%. Like some people, <laughs> some people just throw out the percentages yeah. and just say, you know, 90%. <clears throat> but, this but, but this is a literal 99%. Literally yeah. 99%. <laughs> have to do with a little misspelling or yeah. maybe using a, an alternate word instead of like, Christ, it'll say him. Right. And you exactly. know, in context, it's talking about Christ, but exactly. you know, different writers yep. will just add these little things. Precisely. That don't, yeah. Precisely. But tell us about so, that 1%. So, like, yeah. let's say the other side is like, okay, I'll give you that 99%, but you yep. got 1% you say is yep. talking about some serious yep. theological content. Yeah. What's up with that? How do we trust anything? So, that would leave out of the 400,000 variants, that would leave 4,000 that are okay. meaningful variants, meaning that they actually affect the flow of the text. Um, and it's information that is either missing or included. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there are some more serious examples of that, such as John eight versus, or I guess John seven fifty three to eight eleven. Okay. Yes. Um, that's the story of the woman caught in adultery. Most of the early, in fact, the majority of, um, the early manuscripts that we have, um, from like the first five centuries, in fact, none. Let me, let me back up. So the first five centuries, none of them, to my knowledge, have that portion of John mm. included in it. Mm-hmm. It was added later. Yeah. Um, and somehow it found its way into the text. And there's a whole nother, there's, you could, you know, get into a long um, discussion on how that happened. And I'm sure that'll be for another episode. But basically, um, that is a, it's a, it's testified by scholars as a historically reliable event that happened, that actually happened. Hmm. But we know it doesn't belong in the New Testament because, first of all, it didn't show up in any of the early manuscripts that we have. Mm-hmm. And when it does start showing up, it shows up in different books. Like some of them are in Luke. Sometimes it's in John. And when it's in John, it's in different parts of John. Hmm. So that's evidence okay. that someone's trying to stick the story in here. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. In fact, the, the fact that people keep trying to throw it in there tells us that it was probably from oral tradition or from another source written out. Um, and people knew that this, that Jesus actually did this and they wanted to include it in the stories of the gospels. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, so eventually some scribe inserted it and then that manuscript got copied and copied and copied. And then, so it ended up in the later copies, but because we have so many early copies, like from the first 500 centuries, um, we're able to, really make sure that we weed out a lot of those additions or the things that were missed. Right. Uh-huh, right. Yep. And that can scare some people because additions seems like, you know, well, don't add to the words of the Lord, right? Don't uh-huh. take away. Otherwise yeah. you'll be cursed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way we get to view that is I don't think people should have done that, but there's hardly any evidence that any of these variations were malicious and in intent. Yeah. They're almost always a scribal error. Um, or it was 
information that was taken from one of the Gospels and transposed over to the other. That's called harmonization. So you'll notice that a lot. In the Gospels, there's the same story, but there's different details. Right. And some manuscripts later on, what's, what scribes did is either by accident, because they know the other story so well, they just kind of filled in the blanks of what happened from the other, uh, the other gospel that gives more information, or they intentionally tried to harmonize it with more information so that the stories um, are more full. Yeah. But they're not actually adding content. They're transferring content or mm-hmm. duplicating content. Mm-hmm. So it's still within the scriptures, yeah. but they're transferring it. Now, personally, I wouldn't do that, and I don't... When I read a Bible, I want all of those not there, yeah. right? And that's why the, our new, um, the translations we have today in English from the eclectic text or critical text, um, which I'll get into in just a second, are very reliable and give us that information so we can know what was originally written and what, what wasn't, what was added later. Right. Okay. 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 And on, so just to, uh, I'm going to take it back to my example with my wife. <laughs> um so let's say I have uh, of those 6,000 manuscripts because people are really interested in what John said to his wife in 2020, but we're 2,000 years later and they're trying to piece back together. What did John say? We have maybe five, 600 that include a, a portion that says, and Danielle, I'm buying you a car and I've got you a car and uh, it's all wrapped up in the driveway with a bow and you can untie it. Future historians would be able to look back and be like, okay, those, there are certain manuscripts that come later that add this car thing. He might have bought her a car. John's a nice guy. He, maybe he did. It might have happened. But in the earliest manuscripts, it just says the simple things of, we got a date tonight. We're going to make some popcorn and watch a movie, having our kids go off to a babysitter. It's in the later ones that we see a little bit of extra details, but we can still understand through looking at these manuscripts and say, one of these, some of these things started coming up, developing late. And so even with some of these bigger things, we can still deduce and understand what the original said with incredible preciseness, right? Yes. Is that accurate? Yeah. So it's, we can still pick out some of these, even some of these 1% things that do touch on some things that are significant. There's a whole, by the fact that we have an embarrassment of riches of extant uh, materials and manuscripts, we can still, we can pinpoint what those are, what those are. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and even further than that, um, even that that one percent of variations that actually do affect um, like the content of what's actually written um, the even even like Bart Ehrman, an agnostic scholar admits that the variations that one percent of variations that um, do affect the meaning of the text they don't actually um, compromise any of the the doctrines of Christianity right. And he, this guy is a, a skeptic, and he says that. Like, he admits, and if you want evidence of this, his book, Misquoting Jesus, in the Frequently Asked Questions section in the back of it, that, um, that's where he answers the question, like, are Christian doctrines affected by that one, the, the variations? And Bart Ehrman says, no, they're not. Because the variations that exist were not malicious. They were from, they're, they're orthodox variations. <laughs> like, they're yes. consistent with the teachings of the church and scripture elsewhere. Um, so even if we have those 1% of variations, we don't actually have to worry theologically that it's been corrupted. Like yes. the teachings are still the same. Exactly. Right? A, good, a good example, right? The first John chapter five passage um, where later manuscripts we see added um, the father, son, and the Holy spirit. And these three are one. 
that's an addition, but the, the text just really says, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. But it looks like later manuscripts, we can tell, added the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three bear witness, and these are one. Um, and we will find that not in a lot of our Bibles today because we recognize these came later. But like you said, it's not like they were importing a different doctrine. It just showed they believed in the Trinity and they wanted to add something into the text that was circulating somehow that yeah. uh, solidifies, if anything, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. They weren't trying to import something new. It just yeah. showed that they believed it. <laughs> exactly. And even with that, that variation actually came from the Latin Vulgate, which was a translation. The only Greek manuscript that we have that has that particular that says um, that additional phrase, uh, yeah. Father, Son, Father, Father, Word, Father, Water, and Spirit. I don't remember. Yeah. What does it say? Well, <laughs> like, it's not in the Bible. I'll it's look it up while you're talking. Yeah. But anyways, that that particular portion, it doesn't. Uh, it's not doesn't actually appear in a Greek manuscript until after the um, like the 1500s, when that the textual compilation that included that was, was written. So basically like there's only like one Greek manuscript that actually says that. Right. And it's really late, meaning that it hardly has any bearing on what we say belongs in the new Testament uh-huh. right. <laughs> in that sense. So yes. anyways, yes. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Um, and basically one last thing on the new Testament, um, the, uh, the way it works is they, Scholars take the original manuscripts and they compare them to determine what was the original and they make a compilation. And uh, there's a few different modern compilations of the text, um, which we'll get into some other time. But the process they use is called textual criticism. And then the way that gets to us in English or any other language, um, the scholars in original languages take the compilation from the textual critics and they translate that into English or whatever language you're in. So they take these extremely accurate compilations of what they believe the New Testament was originally, what, what it originally said, and then scholars in the original languages translate that into English or Spanish or whatever language is your home language. So that kind of wraps up the New Testament Old Testament, much quicker, I promise. (laughs) Old (laughs) Testament. Break the Old Testament down for us. Yeah, so with the Old Testament, um, as far as the transmission of the text is concerned, we have well over 10,000 Hebrew and Aramaic manuscripts that are existent today. So Old Testament originally written in Hebrew, small parts in like Daniel written in Aramaic. Um, 200 of those 10,000 were part of the Dead Sea Scrolls found in 1947. So before 1947, I think the earliest... Hebrew manuscript that we had, like when it was copied, it was like in the like one thousand eight, like one thousand AD, okay. so like a thousand years ago or so, somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. if I remember right. We had a lot of them, but they were later on, right? Because yeah. the distance between when it was originally written versus when it was that copy existed is you know a thousand or two thousand years. Right. It's pretty significant, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which I'm sure most people have heard of before. And in those Dead Sea Scrolls, 200 of those were parts of the Old Testament. And what we were able to do is compare these Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the, Old, the Old Testament, within those Dead Sea Scrolls, 
which were written, those copies were written before Christ. Before Christ. Mm-hmm. So we're able to look at those and compare them with the copies we have now, and it showed that they'd been faithfully and accurately transmitted. Yeah. Like, Praise God. <laughs> man, that's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we can definitely trust the transmission of the Old Testament, for sure, based on that. Um, then we come into the historical reliability as far as the claims of it are concerned, so the internal claims of the Old Testament. Okay. So talks about things like the flood, right? The plagues yeah. in Egypt, right? These are things that skeptics often will mock at, and they'll say, well, you know, there's no historical evidence that this happened outside of the Old Testament, right? right. And they're... Um, not exactly right on that. There are tons of stories um, from other cultures, like China, for example, ancient civilizations that talk about a worldwide flood. Yeah, flood. Yep. The stories yes. vary. Uh-huh. Of course they do because of tradition and people embellish it and whatnot. But still, like, there's all these civilizations that have a story of a worldwide flood. Uh-huh. So that tells you something, right? Um, there are some Egyptian hieroglyphics that describe some of the events in uh during the 10 plagues oh wow yeah um don't quote me on where to find that because i really don't remember (laughs) (laughs) so hopefully you guys can do some research on that if you're very curious but um i have heard that many times so um but yeah but as far as as far as um evidence other than that though like for verifying authorship and and whatnot it is much more difficult with the old testament because it's much older and we don't have as many um contemporaries of the authors of the old testament that were writing that we have copies of during um that were written during that time so um because of that um in order to more further develop our reliability our understanding of the reliability of the Old Testament and the New, we have to move into theological reliability now. Yes. Okay. All right. So we got we got it to the point of we can trust that what this book we hold in our hands is what they actually wrote, which is so critical because if I want to know what, how, how I'm basing my life off of off of what the Apostle John wrote, James, Peter, Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, like. I want to know that I actually have what they wrote. But now the next question is, all right, I have what they wrote. How do I know I can actually trust what they wrote was actually right? Hmm. That gets back to an even more fundamental, I guess, question. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with a Christian, this is probably where you want to start with a theological reliability. With a skeptic, you might want to start with a historical reliability. Yeah. Um, I, I think you, I mean... Depends on the situation, but I think that's probably the best way to do it. But mm-hmm. so theologically, though, um, theological reliability shows us that we can trust the truth claims of the Bible for ourselves, like you said. And I think the absolutely fundamental core heart of the issue is Jesus, his who he says he was, and what he did. So if Jesus is who he said he was. And he did what he said he did, so namely that he is God, he died for our sins, he rose again by his power, mm-hmm. he's not a liar, mm-hmm. right? Then we can trust what he said, right? So we, based on the historical reliability, we know what Jesus said. Yeah. We know what he said, Yep. okay? So now when, when it comes to our theology, though, um, it all hinges 
or at least the heart of it, is on the resurrection of Christ. Okay? Jesus did rise from the dead. There is historical evidence for that, which we will get into in another episode. Because he did rise from the dead, everything he said is verified as authoritative. Mm -hmm. So, when it comes to the Old Testament, Jesus affirms the authority of the Old Testament um, when in Matthew 4, he's speaking to Satan, and he, he says, Satan's trying to tempt him in, in the, the wilderness while Jesus is fasting. And in response to the temptation of Satan, Jesus quotes scripture and says, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? Yeah. That's from Deuteronomy. Um, he uses that as authority, saying that it is the word of God, and he's using that to combat temptation, okay? So he's affirming there the authority of the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament wasn't written at that point, so the scriptures that he talks about so many times, it's the Old Testament. Yeah, that is. Yep. So he is affirming the authority of that. Um, Another place is in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So notice he says that Moses wrote of him. Mm-hmm. He's affirming the authorship of the Pentateuch, Moses. And he right. does this in other places, but the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, written by Moses. Mm-hmm. He's affirming the authorship, so we yeah. got confirmation of that, yep. right? He confirms the authority of it. And within that, because he confirms the authority of Moses and his writings, which are the five that we have, five books, then all that's in them we can trust. Yeah. So when he talks about the flood, which is mentioned by the New Testament authors, right? Yes. They affirm it as actually happening. Yeah. When he talks about the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah with, you know, brimstone and hail and fire coming down, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that actually happened. Yeah. Um, all those, the, the plagues, same thing, actually happened. Yep. Like, they're, they're verified by the words of Christ. And if you find it hard to believe that those things happened, well, you got an even... I think even more difficult thing you got to swallow, and that's that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, that is the most miraculous thing that has ever happened. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you need to deal with that first before you try to get into anything else. You need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and you know find historical evidence for that, and there is plenty. So if you're a skeptic out there, I would highly encourage you to go uh, look that up. Um, look for the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, look at stuff by Mike Lacona. You can YouTube his stuff. Plenty of stuff. Yeah, and if you're and if if you're a Christian um, w- with doubts, I guess in, in, if I can encapsulate kind of what you're, you've been getting at is if we like if you're sold, like I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm not a skeptic, but now I'm just doubting. Like, is the Old Testament, you know, Jonah and the whale? Like, come on, seriously? Or did they really walk across the Red Sea or, or through the Red Sea on dry ground? Or was there really a, a whole world flood? Like, these just seem so crazy to me. Like, I don't know. But if you're a Christian, what you're saying is, if you believe Jesus Christ is who He says He is, God in the flesh, 
died on the cross, rose from the dead miraculously, um, and ascended to heaven. You're saying, if this, if 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 you believe in this Jesus, and He is saying, I believe these scriptures. I'm quoting Jonah as a sign for me being in the earth for three days. Jonah was really in the whale. Job truly existed. Um, Lot truly existed. Um, you know, his wife turned into a pillar of salt. Sodom and Gomorrah, the worldwide flood. They passed through on dry ground. This is our God saying it. For me, that's the end of the story. If Jesus says it, I believe it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like that's exactly on the authority of who he is. Yes. For, for us as Christians. Again, for skeptics, they're going to probably need a little bit more background and digging and, and all of these things. But for us as Christians, when we hear the word of Christ, if he says it, yep. that's it. Exactly. It's true. I believe it, Jesus. Yep. You said it. <laughs> that, that settles it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Jesus has all authority. If God himself believes the scriptures yeah. that he wrote, yeah. <laughs> then we should believe it, too. Then we should believe it, too. Yeah. That just makes sense. Amen. Yeah. So yeah. I think that hopefully gives at least a brief overview of the theological reliability of the Old Testament. Right. Amen. Yeah. So now, New Testament, real quick. Um, Jesus gives authority to the apostles. Okay. So he affirms the authority of Moses and other Old Testament writers like David and whatnot, yeah. um, and much of what Jesus says. But now, dealing with the New Testament, he gives authority to the apostles. So when Jesus was on the earth, it was before any of the New Testament documents were written, okay? Yep. So when Jesus talks about the scriptures, he is talking about the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Yep. That would be an anachronism if we were to try to say who is yeah, the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who wrote the New Testament? Yes. The apostles, uh -huh. okay? And those who were um, tightly knit with an apostle. But it was mostly the apostles. Yep. Jesus gives them authority. So John 16, verse 13 uh, says the following, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Mm -hmm. And he's yeah. not just talking about the whole church. He's talking to his apostles, his disciples. Yeah. That's who he's talking to. Same thing in uh, Matthew 28, during the Great Commission. It says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, into, you know, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching yeah. them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right? Yes. All authority has been given to me, therefore, go. And immediately in that context, it is the disciples he's talking to. It's the apostles. By extension, it applies to us. Right. Yeah. But he's talking to the apostles. Mm -hmm. Authority was given to them. So whatever the apostles taught and wrote, that is authoritative. They are the messengers of God and of Christ. Right. So therefore, we can trust what the apostles wrote. Yes. Jesus affirms their authority. He gave it to them himself. Yeah. Right? He <laughs> yeah. taught them himself for three mm -hmm. years. So yeah. they have good theology, <laughs> you know? We, we can trust what they said because Christ affirmed their authority. Right. Amen. And, and um, just something I just had thought of right now um, in the end of Second Peter, when Peter's talking about, <clears throat> this is Paul in particular, but um, uh, he says, um, you know, many things that Paul says are, uh, let's see, hold on. Uh, in regard to the patience of our Lord and salvation, Jesus 
uh, also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable distort, as they do also with the rest of the scriptures, mm. um, to their own destruction. And so it seems Peter here is saying what Paul's writing is scriptures, yeah. same as the rest of scripture. And so um, do you think it's safe to say, like when Paul says in Second Timothy 3, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for various things, um, that he's saying all scripture is God-breathed, theonostos, it's the breath of God. And surely he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. But if what we're saying Paul is writing is scripture, Peter is writing is scripture, that it's going to have that same weight and authority. Um, Absolutely. In the same way that like, if I were to say, you know, all, all trees grow leaves, from my perspective, I'm saying all past tense trees. I'm not talking about future trees because from my understanding, I just all trees that I've ever seen grow leaves. But by extension, if you were to hear me say that or read something that I wrote 2,000 years later, you'd be like, well, if it's a tree, it's going to grow leaves because John's, that's what John was saying. He's not saying only past tense trees grow leaves. And so in the same way with Scripture, it's like Paul's saying all Scripture is God-breathed. It goes for Old Testament and New Testament. Yes, right? absolutely. Yeah. Anything that yeah. is these scriptures yeah. is God breathed yes. and reliable. Right. Yeah. 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 Amen. And so that's I mean that's a good word just to be remember be reminded that this word that we hold in our hands um, is God breathed. <laughs> that's a heavy word. It is, God man. breathed, inspired by the God, the, the, the God who created the universe. Now gives us this book of revelation that we have to to learn about him, to learn about ourselves, to learn how to glorify him, um, and a strong foundation for us to build our lives on the word of God. Very good. Uh, wonder, what wonderful news. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up today's episode. Consider subscribing for more Simply Christian content. And until next time. <laughs>